Today on The Lab Report, we have on Mark Sisson. New York Times bestselling author Mark Sisson. Yeah, probably heard of him from this thing called the Primal Blueprint. It's kind of a big deal. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. You're always about shaking it up, Michael Chapman. Shake it up, ruffle feathers. Can't be stale. Shake and bake. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. How's it going, Patty Devers? It's going great. Welcome to the Lab Report, everyone. Yeah, welcome. Glad to have you. We are. Thanks for being here. Aw. Yeah. So nice. This is a podcast that's about functional medicine and specialty lab testing and integrative therapeutics and the like. <laughs> and we're here on behalf of Genova Diagnostics. And if you're hearing this for the first time and you like what you hear, you can go to iTunes, Spotify, download, subscribe, rate, review. It should the- sound like this. <laughs> yes. From your end. Yes. That would be preferable. And the way that you do that is you just hit the subscribe button. It's quite right. easy. Great. And that will translate to... That's it? Sort of. Cool. Yeah. So we got that covered. You can also email us. Right. Podcast. That's the part we didn't cover. Podcast at gdx.net. Yeah. That's that's interesting, too, if you want to communicate with us. Yeah. Send us a quick memo. Mm-hmm. Be nice. I'm really excited about today's show, though. Mark Sisson's here. Super pumped for Mark Sisson. This guy is a legend, and he's credited with sort of turbocharging the paleo movement. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. And And he's he's actually been kind of like an influencer in health and wellness for so long, over a decade. Interesting guy. Very interesting guy. And I look forward to uh, this particular discussion we're going to have with him. I have so many questions. Me too. Well, let's Let's, call them. Let's ask some of those questions. Yes. Mark Sisson is the New York Times bestselling author of The Keto Reset Diet and the bestselling book, The Primal Blueprint, which was credited with turbocharging the growth of the primal paleo movement back in 2009. Mark has written several other books, including Primal Endurance, The Primal Connection, and other popular primal-themed cookbooks and lifestyle books. He is also the publisher of MarksDailyApple.com, the number one ranked blog for over a decade in its health and fitness category. Mark Sisson is the founder of Primal Kitchen and Primal Nutrition, where extensive product offerings can be found. And with that, we're honored to have you, Mark. Welcome to the lab. Yeah, thanks so much. Welcome, Mark. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Awesome. So my first question actually is, you know, in the integrative medicine kind of area where a lot of our listeners are, our focus is on long-term health and wellness, not unlike what you have really elucidated with a lot of your work. You bring a unique perspective to this as an elite athlete, an author, and an expert in diets. You wrote the Primal Blueprint in 2009 as a way to help people transform their lives and to, quote, live awesome, which I think is an excellent slogan. Where did just the general idea of the primal blueprint come from and, and what makes it so unique? Well, I was uh, always interested in health from a very early age. And I like 12, 13 years old, I was reading books on longevity. Wow. And, and how, to be, <laughs> how to be fit and so on. There weren't many, by the way. There were not a lot. Adele Davis was sort of the lead author in that arena. But I started, you know, I started to understand that, that exercise was a 
critical component of being fit and that eating the right kinds of food was an integral part of being fit and being healthy and, and, and being you know, lean and strong and all the things yeah. that we say we want. Mm-hmm. So I started my athletic career as an endurance athlete, as a runner. And I just, it kind of fell into my lap because I was jogging to and from school just to beat the bus. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> truth, truth be told, and I got pretty fit doing that. And I went out for the track team as a freshman in high school. Yeah. Wound up winning them. I would win on almost every meet, the mile and the two mile. Hmm. And of all things, sometimes the pole vault. And so I got my credibility as an athlete in track and field parlayed that into a, a long distance career running 5Ks, 10Ks, marathons, and ultimately triathlons. Mm-hmm. All the time I'm doing this, I was intending to be a doctor. I was kind of uh, raised in a household that uh, revered the medical profession, although none of my, my, my parents were not doctors, but we had a lot of friends that were doctors and I was around that. So I wanted to be a doctor for the longest time. I was pre-med in college. So I, I focused my studies on biology, on anatomy, and with a particular interest in um, in evolution. So uh, evolution was just so, st- starting to be taught as a integral part of how to look at biology and medicine in particular in the early 70s when I was in college. So the combination of my being an athlete, my being interested in medicine, my being interested in evolution, and my desire to improve my performance as an athlete led me down this, this path of investigating ways in which I could become stronger and leaner and fitter through choices of exercise, the types of workouts I did, how long I worked out, the types of food I was eating. And, and it, it really kind of you know coalesced into a, a life way that was based on discovering these kind of secrets that I, that mm. I knew were out there, but yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know exactly what they were. And I wanted to kind of focus my research on that. Hmm. For whatever reason, I decided not to go to med school. I was running well enough in those days that I just literally postponed med school so I could train for the 1980 Olympic trials in the marathon. Wow. Put off med school well beyond that. And what happened was I started, because I got better and better at running and I got more and more interested in performance, I started to, you know, I started to put in a lot of miles and I started to perform very well and I was racing, but I was kind of falling apart physically. I was injured all the time. I had colds and flu all the time. Mm. I had irritable bowel syndrome. I had hemorrhoids. I had gastritis. I had, you know, tendonitis in my hips and arthritis in my feet. It was like, seriously, this is a guy who wants to be healthy and live. Right. Yeah. Um, Really trying to do all the right things. That was the real frustrating part. I was, you know, I was working hard to try and accumulate the knowledge and do all the right things to be strong and fit and lean and healthy and live a long life. Well, that clearly wasn't working. And so, when I, when I had to retire prematurely from competition because of all these maladies, mm-hmm. I kind of dedicated my life to figuring out, you know, what I'd done wrong and how I could fix it and how I could fix it for other athletes and ultimately how I could fix it for, you know, just like normal people who just want to be healthy and fit. Right. And so that's kind of what led me down this, this path of exploring the evolutionary biology of humans. What is it about our past that enabled us to arrive where we are today with a set of genes that basically is a recipe to build a strong, lean, fit, happy, healthy, productive, loving human being. And then what is it about that recipe that we're not putting the right inputs in so that we're screwing things up? We're becoming obese. We're becoming chronic fatigue. We're in pain all the time. Mm -hmm. We're depressed. You know, we have blood sugar issues. We're, We're metabolically dysfunctional. Yeah. You know, all the things that we see in society today, how is it that we are in possession of this recipe that wants us to be strong and fit, but we've screwed it up. 
And yeah. that's where the clues, evolutionary biology come in. And that's where what's been the most exciting thing in the last two decades is genetic science and right. genetic science proving that when you change an input into a biological system, the results of that change manifest themselves in genetic expression. So mm. I basically look for these hidden genetic switches that we all have and try to figure out ways to to turn them on in the way that we want to turn them on or turn them off in the ways that we want to turn them off. So sorry to ramble so much. No, first question, great. But that's, yeah. that's kind of how we got here. Yeah, that's that's incredibly fascinating. And, and it kind of makes sense that, you know, the overall approach of the, the paleo or the ancestral eating is ultimately going to align itself with that type of genetic in- expression that you're talking about. That's super interesting. Yeah. And well, you know, the, like I said, the recipe has has yeah. expectations. Our, our genes expect us to do certain things in order to manifest what we want. And people sometimes assume, oh, my, I have, you know, a bad genetic history. My parents you know, we're both sick or they were, you know, they, they weren't that fit. I'm not athletic. I have all of this, this destiny that was given to me by my parents. And, mm-hmm. and the truth is genes mm-hmm. are not destiny. Genes are just sort of, again, a blueprint right. that mm-hmm. wants to build your body right. And your genes aren't finished doing their work when you're born, which is a lot of people assume, well, I have blue eyes and I tend to be overweight and I'm, you know, and I, and I, my, my family has a history of heart disease. That's, that's what I was handed. And people assume that the genes are finished I mean, what they're doing, but your genes are rebuilding, renewing, regenerating, recreating you minute by minute, every single day. And that's the incredible power that we've, that we've tapped into here with, if you can figure out the right inputs, the right behaviors, the right types of food, the right types of movement, the right types of sleep or play or sun exposure or stress reduction, you can turn those genes on or off in a way that builds the body that you want and the, and the type of health that you want. It's, very, very empowering. I love it. And your primal blueprint program itself does incorporate all of those things, right? Like movement and, and diet and mind body and social roles, etc. Yeah. So the idea behind the primal blueprint, primal has, you know, is a primary importance and kind of primordial and, mm-hmm. and you know, all of the things that you might connote there, but it derives from the notion that evolution kind of guided us to where we are. And we need to look back to our history. That's the whole ancestral health movement is based on looking what it was that our ancestors did, how they moved, how they ate, how they slept. That, that informs what we should be doing right. to get the most out of our bodies today. So I created initially a life way, a template, if you will, called the Primal Blueprint that was based on what I sat down and wrote out one day to be the 10 basic human primal laws. Hmm. You know, eat lots of plants and animals, move around a lot at a low level of aerobic activity, lift heavy things, sprint once in a while, get plenty of sleep, you know, avoid, avoid trauma. Some of these are quite obvious, but then we, you know, we sort of overlook what, what that entails. One of the things is avoid poisonous things. Well, you know, smoking and, and excess alcohol and, too much sugar and too much processed foods. Those are poisonous things. Mm-hmm. Our ancestors avoided them. Our ancestors, you know, had a had a had a not just a mindset, but taste buds and and the sense of smell that would allow them to avoid things that were going to be harmful to eat. They had good hearing and and acuity in that regard to be on the lookout for danger from from predators right. or mm-hmm. marauding tribes. Hmm. So we have all of these things today. We just Somehow we were so comfortable 
in the technology that surrounds us that we think that we're going to be taken care of and we don't have to tap into these these things, but they're there for us to utilize and for us to, you know, to, 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 to call upon in order to achieve this health that we want. Yeah, that's a perfect name for that program, Primal, right? Just Primal Blueprint. Yeah. It's perfect. And just to kind of pivot on that, you know, we're talking now about ancestral eating in, in essence. And to follow up on that most recently, you wrote a book called The Keto Reset Diet. And we know a lot of people are adopting a ketogenic diet. How do you incorporate the ketogenic diet into what you're discussing now in the Primal Blueprint? So the original Primal Blueprint diet was, you know, eat like your ancestors, which mm-hmm. meant eat. Well, first of all, I would say what it means to not eat, you know, eliminate sugars and sweetened beverages and, and, and artificial flavors and artificial sweeteners. Get rid of industrial seed oils. So these are the highly processed oils like soybean, canola oil, mm-hmm. corn right. oil, things like that. Right. And get rid of grains because one of the basic tenets of the primal blueprint was that humans didn't start eating grains of any kind until as recently as 10,000 years ago, which is, which is a a blip on a time of human existence. Right. So we haven't really adapted a, a means by which we can safely digest grains. So, th- so the worst thing that happens if you're not good with grains is you know gluten intolerance. And a lot of people have that. A lot of people have celiac. The best of the of the bad things that happens is that just most most grains, even if or especially if they're highly processed, just turn the, the glucose very rapidly in your bloodstream. So, mm-hmm. so they cause a rise in blood sugar. So as a primal eater, you would eat Meat, fish, fowl, eggs, nuts, seeds, vegetables, a little bit of fruit, some darky tubers. And if you did that and you got rid of all of the other crap, you'd come down to a diet that probably does not exceed 120 to 150 grams of carbs in a day. Mm. And so that's what we would call a low-carb eating strategy. Right. And that worked for, for me very well for two decades and, and has works for millions of, of my adherents, people who've read Mark's Daily Apple, my blog, or the Primal Blueprint, or any, any of my books, and have read numerous other low-carb eating strategies. Now, when you understand that the body wants to burn fat as a fuel and would prefer to get most of the body's energy on a, on a minute-to-minute daily basis from, from fat, and you understand that eating primally is a good way to eliminate some of the carbohydrate in your diet and kind of force your body to become what we call a fat-burning beast – then the next level of, of this strategy to develop the skill to be, to be what we call metabolically flexible is to find 50 or 60 more grams of carbs and get rid of them so that you're down to maybe 40, 50 grams of carbs a day on a daily basis. And that's the ketogenic eating strategy. So keto reset diet was contemplated to help people develop metabolic flexibility. And by that, I mean the ability to drive energy from the fat on your, from your body, stored on your body, or the fat on your plate of food, or the carbohydrate on your plate of food, or the glucose in your bloodstream, or the glycogen in your muscles, or the ketones that your liver makes in the absence of carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. A truly metabolically flexible person doesn't have to think about you know, whether they're consuming a regular meal every three or four hours to keep their blood sugar up. Because a truly metabolically flexible person derives energy all day long from whatever substrate happens to be handy on their body. And so a lot of people who are metabolically flexible go 20 hours without eating every day. They, they, they find that they're, they're so good at burning their stored body fat that they don't need to eat three yeah. square meals a day. Interesting. And the, so the keto reset diet was a means by which you could take the technology that we developed with the primal blueprint of low-carb eating – 
and ramp it up for three, four, five, six weeks, and and in so doing, develop this metabolic flexibility. The main thing that happens, well, there's several things that happen. The main thing that happens is your body, again, genetic signaling, your body gets the signal that there's not going to be a lot of carbohydrate, there's not going to be a lot of glucose, and so the body starts to make more ketones in the liver, turns fat into ketones, and that becomes a fuel that the brain can use. The body gets a signal that because we're going to be burning fat for most of our energy throughout the day, we need to increase the number of mitochondria. So the mitochondria are these little organelles in the cells where the fat burns. Yep. So the body increases the number of these power plants in the cells, the mitochondria. That's another great effect of this keto reset strategy. You're basically resetting your metabolic machinery. You're building the metabolic machinery to burn fat more efficiently all the time. And then probably the single greatest benefit of all of this is because you're good at burning fat, because your brain has become used to burning ketones in the absence of, of a bagel uh, or a glass of you know, sweetened beverage or something like that, because you're, you're, you're so good at this, you don't get hungry or you're hungry, your hunger diminishes. And so we, we, we talk about getting a handle on hunger, appetite and cravings so that it no longer runs your life. And that's, again, a very empowering and a free freeing aspect of developing this metabolic flexibility. Cool. Yeah, that's Great. that's really interesting when we're talking about kind of the metabolic flexibility aspect to it. And, you know, one of the things that we hear quite a bit in sort of the, the integrative medicine space is this concept of intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating, which is sort of like an imposed fast. You know, you're restricting, you're giving a window of not eating for a particular window of time. But what you're saying is if you're metabolically flexible, you kind of, you're going to find yourself naturally moving towards this sort of intermittent fasting on your own. Is, is that kind of what I'm hearing? Is that correct? 100%. Yeah, the term intermittent fasting has been, I think, a little bit perverted in the last two years because people think, well, you know, if I, if I have 14 hours between meals, I'm intermittently fasting. Well, that's not what we would, I would call a fast anything longer than 24 hours. In fact, we, we use the term intermittent eating, not intermittent fasting. And, and basically, the concept is this. We're surrounded by food all the time. There's always going to be food there. So if I'm not hungry, why do I need to eat? If I'm not hungry, if I have all the energy I need, if I have all the muscle mass I need, the strength I need, and I'm not getting sick, if I'm not hungry, why do I really need to eat? Just because it's 8 o'clock in the morning? Just because it's lunchtime? And so people develop kind of a new awareness of what hunger really is and how it may or may not run their lives. And if we go back once again to an ancestral health model and we look at ancestors from 20,000 years ago or 50,000 years ago or even 300 years ago, there weren't three square meals a day. It was like food was either plentiful or it, or it wasn't. And it most often was not plentiful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you killed a beast and there was a lot of food for a day or two before it went bad. And so you overate. Mm -hmm. The brain is wired to overeat. That's actually part of our survival mechanisms. Our bodies are designed to take excess energy from that overeating of food and convert it into body fat, literally convert it into calories that we carry around with us on our hips and our belly and our, our thighs. That's fuel that's an emergency fuel for later with the understanding that it's quite likely that, that if we eat today and we eat well today, we might not eat for another day or two or three. But our ancestors were like, didn't even, you know, what? that's fine. We'll look for more food. But if we can't find it, we're not going to get hangry. We're not going to go crazy. <laughs> you know, so our, so our, our metabolic 
flexibility, that's where this comes into play. And the body says, well, I, you know, I know how to burn, I know how to store fat. That's the, that's everybody knows how to store fat, but a metabolically flexible person says, well, I know how to burn fat too. My body knows how to do it. I have all these enzymes that can take fat out of storage and send them to, you know, to the muscles to, to be combusted for energy. Some can go to the liver to be turned into ketones. The brain has plenty of this wonderful fuel. There's no reason that we have to eat three meals a day. So what happens is a lot of people become metabolically flexible. The first thing they realize is, holy smokes, I've been eating way too much food my whole life, mm -hmm. like way too much food. I don't need <laughs> that much food to not just to, to survive, but to thrive. I, you know, and so people almost immediately cut back on the amount of food they consume, the number of calories. In my case, I probably eat 40% fewer calories now than I did five or six years ago. Hmm. Just, and just, you know, maintaining the same muscle mass, same energy, everything. It's just, I'm more efficient. I'm not just metabolically flexible, but I'm metabolically efficient. Right. So if I get, you know, 70, 80 grams of protein on average in a day. Look, some days I get 150 or 160, but some days I get 40 or 50. Mm -hmm. If I get enough fat to, you know, to, and it doesn't take much to provide energy and I don't eat a lot of carbohydrates and I don't need any carbohydrates, why is that being not a lot of calories? The real kind of uh, leap of faith that people have to take is, well, because people would say, well, geez, Mark, like, how do you how do you do that? Because I love to eat and I, you know, I go to the gym and I burn off 400 calories on the treadmill just so I can eat more. Mm. And I'm like, do you realize how ridiculous that is that you go <laughs> to the gym just to burn off four or 500 calories on a treadmill so you could go home and have a few more bites of something you probably shouldn't be eating in the first place. But people, people have this kind of assumption that, that they're driven by hunger and they're, and they're always going to be hungry unless they work out and and have a means by which they can put the calories through their body at a high high rate. Well, what if you looked at it the other way? What if you said, instead of trying to see what you can get away with and how much food you can eat and not gain weight, what if we what if you just experiment with how little food you could get away with? Mm -hmm. and, and and by the way, again, have all the energy you want, make you know, build muscle, not get sick, and most importantly, not be hungry. Right. Like what if you experimented with what we call a minimum effective dose of food? And when people do that, they are just astounded, A, at how little food they really need, and B, how, how they don't really miss huge meals. Like you think back to all those, you know, gorge fests that, <laughs> that my, well, think back when I was an athlete, I was eating six, 7,000 calories a day and just about throwing up in my sleep every night. I mean, mm. you know, what was that about? I mean, I, I assumed I was doing it because the machine, you know, the engine would burn anything I put into it. But that was not healthy. That was causing inflammation. It was even though I wasn't gaining weight, I was still, you know, I still had arthritis and, and tendonitis and all of the other physical issues that I had, probably because of the inflammation from all the food mm -hmm. I was putting through my body. Right. So it's really interesting when you when you kind of take a step back and you go, well, if I become metabolically flexible, you know, everything in my life changes. I I, I trend toward my ideal body composition. My performance becomes better. My my thinking becomes clear. I don't get sick, which by the way is a huge consideration during this sure. pandemic. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 again, I and I don't get hungry. And let me be very clear. I enjoy food. I love food. <laughs> I have seven cookbooks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> now, now, now I don't like to cook, but I have seven cookbooks because I like to tell people what to make me for dinner. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so I, I'm very aware that 
I want every single bite of food I put in my mouth to taste great, to be satisfying, to be satiating, but I also know when it's time to stop. Right. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is you touched on this a little bit earlier when you talked about, you know, celiac and, and removing gluten and in functional medicine, it's pretty common for patients to be put on gluten-free diets and your plan, your primal plan eliminates grains, though it does have vegetables and fruits and some fiber to feed the microbiome. But there are some out there who advocate this carnivore eating, saying that it obviates the need for plant fibers and prebiotics. Do you have a particular stance on this? I'm very interested by the carnivore diet. I have a a number of friends who are fully like they're all in yeah, and almost to a person getting great results. And it has now, now in defense of my not going down that route myself, a hundred percent, I just like too many other kinds of food. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to restrict my diet just because I'm trying to hold to a standard that is carnivore only. Mm-hmm. Having said that, when I talk to my carnivore friends and I'm, you know, we, we thought you mentioned, for instance, prebiotic fiber, the notion that, Consuming fibrous plants would not only some somehow have an effect on you know bowel health in terms of motility and regularity, but also serves as a substrate for bacteria to create butyrate, butyric yeah. acid, which is a, a food for not only the healthy bacteria in your gut but the cells lining your gut. Right. And what happens if you restrict that fiber? Don't you get constipated and don't you get sick and backed up? And the answer categorically across the board with all my carnivore friends is no, not, not even close. In fact, most of them report, you know, better bowel health than they've ever had eliminating plants. Mm -hmm. So, and I can argue with them that, you know, in their favor that, you know, fecal matter is probably ought to be mostly bacterial turnover. You don't have a hundred trillion bacteria in your gut. Some of them are, are, are not welcome. Don't, we should, we don't want them to be here. But even though even the friendly bacteria that are in your gut have a, a life that's just days. Yeah. So that bacterial turnover is significant. And so most fecal matter, most poop is should be bacterial turnover and should not have to be undigested particles of food or massive quantities of, of indigestible fiber or insoluble fiber. Right. You know, while, while that is the assumption that many people have. Well, you know, I, the way I envision taking mycelium is because it's like a broom that sweeps out my, my colon. Okay. You can have that visual, but that's probably not what's happened. So the, the, the carnivore guys are not experiencing any sort of constipation that you might think you'd have. In fact, quite the opposite. You probably have more normal, regular bowel habits than, than most people who are, I, I'm, I'm going to go out and say it's most vegans, for instance, mm-hmm. they are. Then there's the concept of, well, what about the micronutrient requirements that the body has, you know, the phytonutrients, phenols, the, right. the anthocyanins, the, all of the, the things that, that we would normally get from plants. Right. And the carnivore argument would be, well, why do you think you need those? You have a, very, a perfectly well-functioning resident antioxidant system in glut- glutathione, uh, superoxide dismutase, right. catalase, right. and glutathione. So you don't need to be supplementing with antioxidants especially when you consider that maybe these antioxidants are actually poisons that the plants developed as a mechanism for not being eaten. I mean, it might be a plant defense mechanism. So guys like Paul Saladino, who's a good friend of mine, his argument is, look, many people have issues, even when they clean up their diet, so to speak, and they've gotten rid of the sugar and the industrial seed oils 
and many of the grains, they still have issues. It might be because some of the plants that they're consuming are having an effect on them that might be you know, eliminated. That effect might be eliminated if they just went to a, to a carnivore diet. Now, for some people, that just might mean 30 days going carnivore and, and then cleaning up your, you know, healing whatever it is that you needed to heal and gradually reintroducing some of these foods. But some of the carnivore guys are like, you know, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Again, I'm, I just like a variety of food. So I'm not willing to give up my crunchy broccoli and my, <laughs> my salads once in a while. Now, truth be told, I have cut back on the amount of vegetables I consume directly as a result of my conversations with, with some of these friends of mine. Yeah. And also, also, by the way, just as a matter of reducing the amount of food I take in, because as I said, I'm cutting, I cut way back on the calories that I take in because I don't feel, I feel that I don't need them. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to get rid of certain types of food, I'm not going to get rid of e-bone steaks and lamb chops and, (laughs) you know, and and, and salmon. I'm going to get rid of the plant material. One yeah. final thing about the carnivore thing, though, sure. you know, the, there is this concept that if you're going to do the carnivore diet, it's best to do nose to tail. In other words, don't just eat the prime cuts of meat, but mm. eat the, the organ meats, eat the offal, eat the, you know, eat the, get your collagen from, Bone you know, and, some yeah. of the other parts from the bones and from the gristle and from making a stock and, and, and make sure that you, that you are covering the bases that you would not otherwise be covering because you have chosen not to consume plants anymore. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 I'm a big fan of, you know, if you're going to go that direction to do nose to tail eating as well, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, that seems very ancestral oriented as well. That's I'm sure what, what our ancestors would have been doing. And like organ meats and stuff with all the minerals and they're very mineral rich. So interesting. Yeah. And, and and there's, there's this idea that, you know, the RDI or the the daily value or used to be called the RDA those were originally developed in the 40s. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when we look at what the human requirement is for some of these vitamins and minerals, they were sort of predicated on an intake of lots of grain. These were, these were back in the days when everybody ate a lot of bread and a lot of cereal. And, you know, the U.S. Department of Agriculture was starting to ramp up its recommendation of six to 11 servings of grains a day. And so it may be that those original requirements were artificially high because the grain-based diet was so deleterious on the rest of your health that it was leaching the minerals and it was, you know, the phytates were, mm. uh, were, were binding with the minerals and the oxalates in, in were, you know, were, were binding. And, and it may be that when you get rid of a lot of those other things and you, and you eat nose to tail, that your actual requirements for a daily dose of these vitamins and minerals is reduced and your body holds on to these vitamins and minerals a lot longer. And so it doesn't need to take, to take a daily dose of them. It's a really interesting, you know, kind of concept that these, that that many of the RDIs and daily values and RDAs were artificially high because of the the diet that we were following at that time. Yeah. No, I I think it's an entirely interesting conversation and I I can't wait to, you know, it's it's somewhat of a disruptive conversation too, which I think is always good. And I I look forward to having, you know, hopefully some of the the literature come out on studying this a little bit more in in the future. I did want to ask this one question because you were talking about back in the forties and some of the historic recommendations, you know, fat has been such an interesting tale where, you know, previously for a long time, it was low fat, no 
fat approaches as far as that's how you're going to maintain some metabolic stability. And now we're seeing this trend towards more higher fat diets, but there's still some opposition to that. So what would you say to some of the people who would say, you know, some of the primal eating, some of the ancestral eating is a higher fat diet? Would you say that given the fact that people become more metabolically flexible, that's not really a concern anymore? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, the the fear that Americans have had of fat is an artificially induced fear that started in the 70s and, and then gained traction in the 80s and 90s. And, and even now is so in, ingrained in the uh, in the psyche of, of most Americans based on the food pyramid and everything they've been exposed to. Yeah. That there are many people are still afraid of fat. Fat is not the enemy. Fat is not the proximate cause of heart disease. Oxidative, oxidative damage and inflammation are just like cholesterol is not the proximate cause of heart disease. And we know that now, but there are still even cardiologists who will still put you on a statin to, to artificially lower cholesterol. And it's just, mm-hmm. it makes me want to scream because cholesterol is probably the most important molecule in the human body, mm-hmm. in my estimation. So but, but having said that, fat does exist, as all foods do, on a spectrum. There are, there are fats that are horrible, and, and, and I would encourage people to stay away from them. You know, the trans fats, the partially hydrogenated fats and oils, many of the polyunsaturated fatty acids, especially the omega-6 types, are, are problematic and dangerous. On the other hand, monounsaturated fats are great, and I would seek them out. And, and a certain amount of saturated fats are encouraged and, and wonderful and great. And yes, you can do can overdo saturated fat intake, but for the most part, I don't think it's something that people need to consciously avoid. I mean, the body, your human body knows enough to store its energy in the form of saturated fat. Right. So mm-hmm. there's got to be something there, you know, working there as well. Yeah, that's a great uh, point. But I think it's been a, so if you, if you look at, at the spectrum of fats, you know, I would, again, stay away from trans, partially hydrogenated, stay away from soybean oil, corn oil, canola oil. These are these are highly refined, manipulated fats that are not combusted for energy, but they're incorporated into the, into the cells, which is not a good thing that, you, that, we're, that we're seeking to do. It may be that as much damage as a high sugar diet has done to the, the American population in terms of type 2 diabetes and metabolic syndrome, it may be that these industrial seed oils have done more damage in terms of insulin resistance and things like that because they sit on the on the cell membrane and they sort of get incorporated uh, as a non-functioning molecule in the cell membrane. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, this, it just comes down to, so, you know, and but what fats are great or good? Well, avocado oil, olive oil, coconut oil, lard, butter, ghee, you know, there are lots of, uh, and then, you know, certain nut oils. Those are all, I think, part of a, of a healthy diet and a good source of, of calories and, and raw material. And I noticed that's a lot of what you include kind of in substitution with the products that you've put out through Primal Kitchen. You've substituted a lot of these fats that you commonly see for some of the avocado oils and some of those other more healthy fats. Well, take for, I mean, mayonnaise is a great example. So mayonnaise is a pretty great tasting condiment. And mm. when, when I started talking about uh, the paleo lifestyle and created the Primal Blueprint and then, you know, other methods of ancestral eating came came onto the scene, Whole30, you know, Melissa uh, Urban's program and so on. One of the things that got cast aside immediately was mayonnaise because there was no company that made a mayonnaise that didn't use soybean oil and or canola and or sunflower and or corn, mm. corn oil. Right. And many people would say, well, 
Mark, I love your eating strategy, but but I can't have so many things I can't have. And now I can't have egg salad and I can't have tuna salad. And I can't have chicken salad. And I can't have, you know, any of these other staples that I used to eat a lot of because there's no mayonnaise that's on the market that isn't horrible. And so for the longest time, we were putting recipes in all my cookbooks. Here's how you make your own mayonnaise using avocado oil and uh, organic eggs. But the problem, if you've ever tried to make mayonnaise, is A, it fails half the time, and so you throw the ingredients away. And when it does work, it doesn't last long in your refrigerator. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, so one of the things that we looked at from my company was how do we, how do we make eating healthy enjoyable and, 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 and sustainable over a long period of time? And how you do that is with the methods of preparation, sauces, the dressings, the toppings, the herbs, the spices, and things like that. And so the idea was to come up with condiments that you could use with reckless abandon in your egg salad, your tuna salad, your chicken salad, your potato salad, dressings that you could put on your salad and not just use sparingly because, ooh, they contain fat. <laughs> right. you know, just like pour it on and, and, and eat the salad to your heart's content. And that was, and, and it really has changed how people think about, about eating healthy now because, uh, again, I, I know, you know, back in the old days, if you ate a salad in the old days of avoiding fat, people say, oh, use it sparingly. You know, use the use the dressing sparingly because the, the dressing makes it taste good, but it's bad for you. Mm-hmm. Well, what if you made a dressing that was good for you? And that's that's what we did. Awesome. Um, and and the avocado oil has become kind of the main, like, wonderful functional ingredient that we've used in most of our products. It's just Avocado oil is the is the best source of monounsaturated fats you can find, even even more so than extra virgin olive oil, hmm. and it's has a very kind of nice neutral buttery flavor. So you can you can cook with it. Whereas even though coconut oil, I think is a good choice of oil, if you if you've cooked much with coconut oil, it does impart kind of a you know a funky uh, flavor to certain things. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Super interesting. And I really appreciate the conversation, Mark. I can't tell you how much I, I appreciate this. You know, I had one additional oh, question. Oh, here we go. And when I'm looking through a lot of the blog posts that you have from Mark's Daily Apple, and I just came across this word grok over and over again. Yeah. And I finally put two and two together that I'm assuming, because I didn't get to the origin of it, I'm assuming that grok is the the little guy on the logo, on the is Primal it? Blueprint logo. And I just wanted to know, hear a little bit of the origin story around grok, if you don't mind telling that. Well, yeah. And, and that is, that's the name of the of the of the <laughs> jumping band here. Okay, good. Yeah. I sort of came up with the name. It just had a kind of a guttural primal right. sound to it, like that would be the first name of well, not even the last name, but uh sort of the spiritual But that would be his name and then uh, you know, and there's a concept from Stranger in a Strange Land this oh. notion that grok means to intuitively understand something to get it so completely and viscerally that that you don't need an explanation wow and so it had sort of a double meaning it's it's been way since uh, you know 2006 when we first came up with when i first came up with that <laughs> yeah i love I that love that. <laughs> i love that that's so great and i love how it lends itself on your website to grok on i think that's i know that's super, it's so funny so well done <laughs> 
Well, Mark, we cannot thank you enough for spending time with us. We're honored that you you came on our podcast. And I want to encourage the audience to to go to Primal Blueprint to pick up some of these books, The Keto Reset Diet, The Primal Blueprint, Primal Endurance, all of the Primal Themed Cookbooks. And we're just honored that you came. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. My pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I enjoyed it. Take care. <laughs> Great. Take care. Mark Sisson. Oh, my gosh. So much there. And I can't help but think, like, he's writing this daily blog for over 10 years called Mark's Daily Apple. Yeah. It's just an opportunity to flesh out all of those ideas. It's just a great creative outlet. It's like the most popular blog site, isn't right. it? Yeah. For like 10 years running or something ridiculous. It's just full of information. Yeah. And think about how much content to to create yep. a daily blog. But you can tell he's passionate about it. For years and years and he's years. He's in it. Yeah. And on that blog, there's tons of really great information about not only you know ancestral eating, the primal blueprint, but also physical fitness and mm-hmm. kind of like the main exercises that you should be able to start working on to maintain optimal fitness. It's um, just a, a ton of really great information. So yeah. check he's, it out. Should check it out. If you haven't. You probably okay. have. <laughs> I mean, Most people have. He's <laughs> super famous. We're sitting here and you're probably like, yeah, I know. I'm on it every day. It's right. Like, right. Cool. Okay. You know what I think we should do now? See if Oliver wants to do a disclaimer. Yeah, let's let's call him up. Oliver, you want to do a disclaimer <laughs> maybe in your proper London accent? The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and not to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Thanks, Oliver. Next time on the lab report... I'm not going to use the word particular. It's impossible. I'm not going to use that particular word. How about the word individual? Because you use that one a lot too. That one I'm going to use. Okay. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Kind of wish I hadn't pointed out that particular character flaw. Oh, people are going to start counting how many times you say particular individual. Yeah, I kind of wish I hadn't said that. I loved it.